0: Welcome to the Fustel Fit Podcast with your host, Nicola Fustel, straight talking, body positive coach, and personal trainer. Nicola brings you your weekly guide to finding real health and fitness and to live the life you deserve. Welcome to episode 14, where I speak to Dr. Nina. She's a psychoanalyst, author, and speaker specializing in weight, body image, and disordered eating with a successful clinic practice in Los Angeles. Woo, another one from around the world. Oh, I so wish I could get out there into the US. This just feels so cold and grey in England right now. Anyway, so in addition to that, she helps people who crave for healthier, happier relationships with food and themselves. And she has an award-winning blog, Make Peace With Food. She hosts a popular podcast called Win the Diet War with Dr. Nina and produces a video series, The Dr. Nina Show. So we spoke obviously about disordered eating, but Nina's own story and then how she has become the great coach that she is through the experience that she has with her clients. So I hope you're going to enjoy this episode. I'd love to hear your feedback at the end and if you found it useful. Hello, Dr. Nina, and welcome to the show.
1: Um, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, I stumbled across your work because I'm I'm on my own journey of like ending diets and becoming body positive. And um, just to tell you a little bit about me, so I'm a personal trainer and fitness instructor. And um, I had a background of eating disorders and yo-yo dieting for years. And I just suddenly saw the light and discovered this whole new world out there of all body positive um, people, activists, and people who are coaching and fitness professionals, and they're all you know, anti-diet and completely opposite to what I was before. And that's kind of where I found you. So I was really interested to hear about you, your work and um, let other people hear as well. Wonderful. So shall I just dive straight into the questions?
1: Yeah, dive right in.
0: Okay, so I just wanted to ask you then a little bit about your background and what led you to do the work that you do.
1: Well, when I was five years old, I suddenly developed an obsession with my thighs. I suddenly thought that if my legs were thinner somehow that I would be better. And by the way, I was a perfectly normal weight child. My mom did not read any magazines and I wasn't allowed to watch TV. Like like any magazines would be Time magazine or, or Sunset. Like there were no models that I was looking at. There was no media that was influencing my way of thinking. So at five began my journey into hell, which just got worse as I got older and throughout adolescence into college, my last thought at night was, what did I eat today? And I would fall asleep counting calories and fat grams and calculating every bite and wondering if I'd lose weight the next morning or gain it. So the scale became my my biggest friend and my biggest enemy. Um, And it, it just took over my life. If I went hiking with friends, I would be not thinking, oh, it's a beautiful day. I'm having a good time with my friends. This is awesome, I would be calculating how many calories I was burning. Mm-hmm. And so I alternated severe restriction and deprivation with binging and eventually purging. But, so I was thin, but I was in a constant, sometimes thinner than other times, um, sometimes not so thin, but I was overall in, just in a constant state of anxiety. So eventually, I went to therapy, and I shared my boyfriend's stuff, my goals, my dreams, my fears, my parents' stuff, everything, everything. I was open with my therapist about every aspect of my life except for one. I never, not once, told her what was going on with food. And I went once a week for three years, and I never talked about these eating disorders that had just absolutely taken over my life. Um, and then into therapy, I started noticing some changes. So restricting food no longer made me feel like strong and superior, it started to make me feel deprived and I started to feel hungry for food and for life. Um, so at the end of the three years of seeing my therapist, never ever once having told her about what was going on with food, all my eating disorder issues were totally gone. And people say to me, how was that possible? Like, how, how can you get over eating disorders without ever talking about food? And the answer is that my eating disorder, my problems with food, were just a symptom of the actual problem, which is my mean relationship with myself. So in therapy, when I learned how to cope with difficult situations instead of distracting myself with thoughts of food or my body. And when I learned to soothe myself with words instead of using ice cream or cookies, everything changed. So, uh, and I should also say, why, why at age five did I suddenly decide that I need to be thinner? Well, I was I realized later that as a kid, I was, I was very exuberant and my family were very academic and more laid back and and quieter. And I was constantly being told you're, you're too loud. You're too sensitive. You're too, you're too much essentially was, was the message. And I unconsciously took the, you're too much message and made it into, I'm literally too much so that maybe if there was less of me, I would be, more accepted and liked and liked likeable um, so what I I I know from experience and now as uh, a psychoanalyst and clinical practice in which I specialize in this I know that you can completely change your relationship to food and to yourself there's always hope
0: it's really interesting you say that and I was actually just going to ask that you know at age five it's really strange to suddenly develop these issues with your body image um, and then obviously food as a result of that at such a young age and not know why. So it's really interesting that you say that. Um, but then at the same time when you had therapy and you talk about it was the other things in life and not the actual food that was the problem. And I hear other people saying it the opposite way around, that it is just the food because when some people are obviously starving themselves through dieting, that then causes them to binge eat and then so on then the cycle appears.
1: You know, I think that's too much on the surface that let me, let me tell you a story about why it's not about the food. Actually, food is a solution to the problem, whether you're turning to it or from it. So in my clinical practice, I deal with eating disorders, but in my, all my online stuff, I deal with dieters, anyone who with an unhealthy, unhappy relationship to food. But uh, a patient came in one day and she told me, you know, Dr. Nina, maybe your other people have emotional issues. But she said that she was a food addict and that she could prove it. And I said, well, do tell. So she told me that she'd had a wonderful day the day before. She was watching TV. She was chilling out. Everything was fine. Nothing was bothering her. And all of a sudden, Ben and Jerry's was calling her name, as she put it. It was calling my name. So she said, clearly, nothing was wrong. Nothing was bothering me. I'm addicted to Chunky Monkey. So I asked her what the show that she was watching was about, and she told me it was Charmed, which was her favorite show. Mm -hmm. So she said, see, I was happy. I'm watching my favorite show. So when I asked her what the episode was about, she told me it was when the sisters start fighting because the devil comes down and everything gets very contentious. And then suddenly she stopped and she said, oh, wait, I get it. Because it turned out the TV show she was watching had activated some feelings she had about her own sisters, and before that anxiety could even reach consciousness, she turned to ice cream for comfort. Mm -hmm. So if we had focused on food, we would have completely missed everything else that's going on. What you're talking about with deprivation leading to binging, that is more about overeating, right? So if you don't eat enough, then you get to the point where you're starving, and then you can't stop, and there's that kind of a cycle. But I'm talking about using food, whether you know it or not, to resolve a psychological conflict that you may not even, as, as with this patient, be aware of. Yeah. So what I help people do is figure out what's out of awareness, but not out of operation.
0: Mm-hmm. So you're talking about emotional eating.
1: Um, emote, beyond emotional eating. I mean, emotional eating is part of it, but it's, it's, it's much more than just eating to resolve, uh, distract or resolve, um, a feeling, you know, sometimes people can convert emotional, um, emotional pain to physical. I have many, many, many people who tell me that they eat so much that they're in pain. They're like, oh, I ate so much my stomach hurt all night. Well, usually if we backtrack, something is hurting them and that they start expressing that they convert the emotional pain to physical. So we really want to look at what is going on inside that's getting enacted or expressed with food. Uh, And when you get to the, sort of like the weed and and the root, the weed is uh, dieting and what's going on with food. If you pluck a weed, of course, it's going to grow back. The weed is grown by a root and that root is, as all gardeners know, underground. You can't see it, but you know it's there because it's causing the weed. Mm -hmm. So what I do is I call it emotional gardening because uh, much like our unconscious, it, we're in the dark about what's going on. So have got to dig out and, and bring it into the light and then resolve it. Just as with uh, my patient or with myself, dealing with my relationship to myself changed my relationship to food. It doesn't go the other way around.
0: So why do you think that happens then, that when people have all these emotional triggers, that it then turns to food?
1: Well, food are... People... people need to understand why food I get this question a lot why food one woman even asked me she said why food if only I were addicted to meth I'd be skinny I mean she and she was serious it it was sort of appalling um so why food and I don't by the way I don't believe in food addiction Uh, I believe in eating addiction but that's different from food addiction but why food food our very first experience of relationship, of bonding, of being connected to another person is the experience of being fed as infants. Mm -hmm. And so somewhere deep in our psyche, food equals relationship. So when you talk about, say, comfort food, what you're really talking about is a wish to be comforted by another person. But people can be unreliable and unpredictable and unavailable whereas food is reliable predictable and always available Mm -hmm. so so people turn to food for comfort because people may not be able to provide what they need
0: okay so let's talk a little bit about diets and obviously every year there's new diets that come out low carbs gluten-free paleo why do you think that diets don't work
1: well Diets fail because on some level they are about deprivation and that always leads to overeating or even binging and that's because the anticipation of not being able to eat what you want will make you want it more. So if you're thinking about not having pizza or pasta or ice cream, then you've got pizza and pasta and ice cream on the brain all day and that puts the focus on the wrong thing, which is what you're eating instead of why you're eating. Ultimately, diets fail because they only deal with food and to to permanently change your relationship to food, you've got to focus not on what you're eating, but what is eating at you. So you could be using it for comfort, for distraction, to numb yourself, to be symbolically fulfilled, to, as I said before, express pain. Um, You've got to figure out what it's doing for you. I I call it binging or overeating or turning to food or whatever it is. It's a frenemy because it is a friend. It is doing something for you, but it is also hurting you.
0: Hmm. And um, often people find that certain foods are a trigger for them, like all or nothing. If I have that in the house and I'm just gonna eat it till it's gone. Um, What's the best way to deal with food triggers?
1: Well, often what you think of as a, a trigger food actually points to the true trigger, which is the underlying emotion, need or conflict. Most people know about emotional eating and they're aware, you know, oh, it's not what I'm eating, it's what's eating at me, like I just said, Um, but they don't know what is going on because they're so good at using food to distract themselves. So I developed a formula to help them figure out what's actually going on inside by looking at what they're eating. So foods that are sweet and smooth and creamy, such as ice cream or frozen yogurt pudding, those kinds of foods, they suggest a longing for comfort for soothing, for nurturing. Foods that are filling like breads, pasta, cake, pizza, that kind of thing, um, they're correlated to loneliness since they're bulky. I mean, they really fill you up so they can symbolically fill an internal void. And if you crave those kinds of filling foods, that's a clue you may be feeling deprived or lonely and using, using those foods to symbolically fill up. And foods that are crunchy like chips or pretzels, anything with a crunch, that's associated with anger. So if crunchy foods are the ones you turn to the most, you may be angry, frustrated, annoyed, something like that with someone or something in your life, but turning it, expressing with food and then turning it on yourself, getting mad at yourself usually for what you're eating. Um, So also I've heard people say that they know what they're feeling, they've felt their feelings, nothing has changed, so clearly they tell me, "Food is the problem." And my answer to that is that they're feeling emotions that they're aware of, but something else is going on that they're not aware of. So if you've cried and cried and you're still sad, there is another emotion that's not getting expressed. Often with women it's anger. Or and this is true of of men, are if you're mad all the time and you're pissed off and you're expressing it all the time, but you, you, you're, you're always mad and nothing, nothing helps. Then maybe underneath all that anger is sadness. Um, Women are are taught in our culture, you know, don't be nice. Don't get mad. And men are taught boys don't cry. So uh, you've got to really dig and figure out what is going on in you that you're trying to express because once you express it it goes away that's how you get rid of feelings you can't drop them you can't lose them you can't positive think them away you can only feel them and that's how you get rid of them i know you know anyone with kids knows that they've they've seen children who get upset and they'll cry or they'll get mad and then th- th- once they're done they're done hmm. And it's we have to get back you say to that. that
0: because I've seen actually some obviously being a parent I've seen some parents at the school. I remember I was horrified one time that I heard this mum, her child was crying, she was like, "There, there, that'll make it better and she was giving her a big chocolate bar, and I thought to myself, "I really wanted to say something, but obviously it's not my place everyone parent the way they parent, but I thought maybe that in some people will create you know emotional eating later on in life because There, there. That chocolate makes it better. And then, as an adult, they have something they're crying about, and then they eat the chocolate to make themselves feel better.
1: Exactly. I have had that very same experience at at the park. Exactly, except it was uh, cookies, not chocolate bar. And what happens is, what what starts out as a relational dynamic, a mother telling the daughter, "Hey, here, this will make it better," then later on in life, that becomes the internal dialogue in the person so the daughter becomes an adult who starts to feel something and tells herself hey they're there have chocolate that'll make it better don't feel your feelings feelings are upsetting to other people feelings make other people nervous feel people don't know how to handle feelings just eat something and that'll take it away except it doesn't
0: yeah and feelings are hard work aren't they to actually live your life and and have all your feelings and not eat them away or use something else to distract yourself from them
1: We're so afraid of feelings in our culture, and we're taught that we're somehow weak if we express feelings and strong if we don't, and I I actually think it's the other way around. It takes a lot of strength to feel difficult, painful emotions, but the good news is once you've felt them, they dissipate. If you don't feel them, they just pile up and pile up and pile up, and then it, it becomes overwhelming and untenable and too much. So if you just uh, can trust that expressing your feelings will help, not not hurt. You're not going to be stuck in this awful feeling. You're going to feel better afterwards. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't make you weak. Uh, it will be a lot easier.
0: So your website and brand is all ditch the diets. It's all about ditching the diets. So how do you help people then to ditch the diets and then move away from emotional eating if they still then want to lose weight?
1: Well, I help them identify why they're eating, what is going on that's, turning, that's making them turn to food. Also, for some of them, what is, what is weight doing for them? Most people think i i'm gonna I can't wait until my li- I lose weight my life will start, but then when we really dig into it there's some often some ways that weight may protect them um, I've heard well bad things don't happen to fat girls is what one person literally told me um or fears of being objectified or fears of you know, all kinds of things. It's always always to the individual. So I help them identify individually what is going on with them. What is What is this cycle doing for them? How is it helping them cope? How is it helping them protect themselves, even though it's also hurting them? And then address the underlying thoughts and beliefs they have about themselves and the world. And when you do that, everything with food changes because thoughts and beliefs lead to Feelings lead to behavior. If you just focus on the behavior, you get nowhere.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned there a little bit about body image and how we feel about our bodies. What role does self-acceptance and self-esteem play in our body image?
1: Well, I want to define self-acceptance because that, that expression is used a lot and I think sometimes people don't even know what it means. but. I define it as it's it's balancing different parts of yourself holding on to the things you like about yourself along with those that you'd like to change. So it's not about being perfect, it's about allowing yourself to be perfectly imperfect. And really it is the cornerstone of your relationship to yourself and others. So too often when people think about them themselves they think only of their bodies i had a a woman who told me that she she was the queen of self care and she told me that she she's like i don't know why i don't feel better i take good, such good care of myself and i said well, what do you mean she said well i you know i get facials once a month i get my nails done i get my hair blown out i get mani pedis why don't i feel better and i told her well that is not taking care of yourself that is grooming and those are different things and she said well what other self what, what are you talking about what other self is there she had that was an extreme example she had no concept of, of the, the range of qualities that actually made up her as a person so um, the role of self-acceptance in weight loss is to think of it this way you wouldn't love your friends more if they lost weight Right, you wouldn't suddenly be like, oh, she's so much nicer now that she's lost ten pounds. You love your friends because they're nice, they're they're fun, they're funny, they're supportive, they're warm, they're they're great people, um, and and there are a whole range of qualities that also make you the unique person you are. And so I, I challenge people to identify, embrace, and nurture all those parts of themselves because they all need their attention. So there are three ways that you can increase. Your your sense of self acceptance. One is accept the full range of your emotions, as we were just talking about. Um, so many people have a problem with their internal worlds and their emotions, and we we turn we turn emotions into something negative. Like, you know, you're, you're sad, take an antidepressant. You're anxious, take a pill for that too. And if you're angry, ooh, you know, there's something wrong with you. Go to anger management. So sometimes huge feelings can be converted into actually feeling huge. If we think about our culture describes intense issues, they're said to to be weighty or heavy. Mm -hmm. So challenge the idea that your feelings are too much um, and accept that whatever you're feeling is a reaction to a situation, not a character flaw. Uh, The second part of self-acceptance is to accept that perfection is unattainable. So if you've ever said anything like, oh, I can't stand my gross, squishy stomach, I'm so disgusting, as many of us probably can relate to that, the, the message from you to you is you've got to be perfect to be acceptable. And when you objectify yourself like that, your primary relationship is to your body instead of to people, because then you may be waiting to be perfect before you date. You may be waiting to be perfect before you change jobs or go back to school or leave your marriage. You know, if you're defining perfection by a number on the scale, you're going to be stuck in your life always because that definition of perfection often changes as you near your goal. And the finish line just keeps getting further and further out of reach. Mm -hmm. So perfection is unattainable. It's part of the reality of life. And another way to increase your sense of self-acceptance and self-esteem is to trust the positive views that other people have of you. Often we have this filter that we we s- grasp onto the negative and just dismiss the positive. So, if you feel good about yourself, you will trust that other people will have a positive view of you. But if if you if you trust that other people have a positive view of you, you will feel good about yourself, right? So, it, put it this way. If you judge yourself, it's easy to believe that other people are judging you. And when you're overly self-critical, you're going to accept criticism from other people and maybe even stay in an unhealthy relationship. So when people like you, admire you, respect you, believe them, take it in. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, And when you give yourself and the people you love the right to be perfectly imperfect, that will also improve the closeness and qualities of relationships of your relationships, which will make you turn to people, perhaps instead of to food. I mean,
0: how long do you think it would take somebody to change from diet culture and self-loathing to be comfortable with their body and um, getting a normal relationship with food?
1: I think it it always depends on the person, their history, how long they've been struggling, how deeply entrenched it is. But that said, um, I developed a 30-day program called Kick the Diet Habit. And the people who've gone through it well, tell me that 30 days has made a remarkable difference in the way that they relate to themselves. I had a woman say that after 40 years of torture, she felt as if she was finally free and she could enjoy her life and herself. Um, so it, it does depend on your own history and, and all of that, but you can, if you're diligent, make pretty fast changes. Mm-hmm.
0: And so what barriers have you come across, either with yourself in the past or with clients
1: in giving up dieting? It's in whatever way that it serves them. Uh, I will tell you, there is one surprising one that comes up a lot. There are, that is the fear of happiness. And now you may be listening and thinking, what, what, what is she talking about? Who, who could be afraid of being happy? Well, the reality is a lot of people are afraid of being happy, although they don't realize it. Uh, they start talking about when things are going, quote unquote, too well, that the uh, the, the rug's going to be pulled out from underneath them, or they don't deserve this happiness, or there's something that they feel bad about themselves. So if they feel good about themselves, they're going to get punished. So as long as they don't feel good about their weight, they feel safe in the world they feel safe as if nothing bad is gonna happen as long as the bad thing is already happening yeah that's a very big barrier yes uh, and and uh, another one is fear of impulsivity I've had people say well I'm afraid that if I lose weight I'm just gonna I'm gonna have an affair I'm gonna lose you know I'm gonna lose weight and I'm gonna I'm gonna leave my husband. That, that comes up a lot. I'm going to suddenly change my job uh, as if losing weight will change them into another person who will suddenly become impulsive. And uh, you know what? I, I really like the idea of um, thinking about it this way. You're not changing into another person. You're simply becoming more of the person that you are. Uh, I, I love the story about Michelangelo, the sculptor, Uh, And he was supposedly asked, Michelangelo, how do you turn these great blocks of stone into statues? And he said, I do not turn them into statues. I free the statues from the stone. And that is the work that I do with people. We chip away at what keeps them locked in and stuck so that they can be really who they are, not a different person. Uh, The other the other common reason that people are afraid to lose weight is fear of being objectified, fear of being uh, that suddenly people will like them only for their their bodies and not themselves. Fear of just becoming a thing to other people, particularly with people who have a history of abuse Mm -hmm.
0: And let's talk about it the opposite way around. What about people who are thin and fear weight gain? So maybe they're dieting constantly or always below their set point and restricting you know, a lot and doing a lot of exercise because they fear gaining weight.
1: It's what does that mean to you? What are you going to be? If, it, and it's always what is happening with that individual person? know, that somehow that, that they have to look a certain way to be lovable, that if there's more of them, that people will like them less. And that is this sense that they are overly invested in their likability being in their looks, in their in their size.
0: Do you think a lot of it's to do with the media and culture, though, with fat shaming?
1: Absolutely, but the intensity of it has goes beyond the media. I have people in my practice, men as well as women, who have been struggling for 40, 50, 60 years. I have people in their 70s that come to see me who have been struggling with food in one way or another, anorexia, bulimia, and binge eating disorders uh, for decades, well before there was any media stuff. And well before men, you know, men's fitness is relatively new. And these guys aren't reading men's fitness or they're not affected by the media. They're using this way of being, um, relating to themselves and food as a way of expressing something inside. So I think that the media can, can sort of, uh, trigger or, or intensify, uh, this body dissatisfaction. But I, but I think it can only do that if there's already, um, and a propensity towards having a toxic relationship to yourself. Mm
0: -hmm. Can we talk a little bit about willpower? I just briefly saw one of your videos on willpower and obviously it's something that people use in terms of trying to stop themselves from eating in a diet situation and then feeling like they've fallen off the wagon or a certain food was triggering and it made them fall off the wagon and let the diet go out the window. Can you explain a little bit about willpower?
1: Well, again, thoughts and feelings and conflicts lead to – thoughts and beliefs lead to feelings, which lead to behavior. So if you only are dealing with behavior with willpower, you never resolve the underlying issue. Willpower is about – going into uh, your emotional garden and just taking a weed, just taking the top of the weed off, taking the top of the weed off. You will get nowhere and you will torture yourself and that weed will continue to grow back. So my story of the patient who was uh, quote-unquote addicted to ice cream illustrates how it's not about willpower. She'd been using willpower for decades. And there was no question that she had wonderful willpower, but there was something stronger going on. Her willpower would always fail because she would be coping with, with ice cream. Mm -hmm. So willpower just keeps you focused on the wrong thing, which is the food. And you have to get to what's eating at you. When you do that, you don't need willpower. And it's the difference between every day going, I'm going to be good, I'm going to be good, and I'm not going to eat this, and I'm not going to eat that. And then your world becomes about food and your body and your, and you're your judging your se- sense of self. If you know, I was good, so I feel good about myself. Oh, I was bad. I ate pizza. Now I feel bad about myself. It's a horrible way to live when you can be curious instead of critical when you can say why what's eating at me why am i turning to food why am i thinking about my body so much why am i fixated on this what is it doing for me and address that those underlying things directly then you are going to be liberated you will not even think about food or making yourself perfect mm-hmm. because you've already resolved the underlying issue
0: So talking about good food and bad food, because I know that's a a big thing for people and feeling guilty when you do have something that either you considered bad or you're trying to get over the good and bad, but society says it is bad. How do you get over those feelings of guilt and shame?
1: Well, guilt is about doing something that you shouldn't do. So guilt sounds like, oh, um, there's something wrong with what I just did. I ate pizza. There's something wrong with that. I feel guilty. Shame is about who you are, so shame sounds like there's something wrong with me because I ate pizza, and of course, shame is more is deeper and more pervasive. I I don't I I don't like thinking in terms of good food or bad food because of course the anticipation of deprivation only makes you <laughs> want something more. Uh, as an example, we've got Halloween coming up, and a few years ago, one of my daughters. Um, her friends, one of her friends, her parents would only let her have two pieces of Halloween candy (laughs) at Halloween. And then two the next day and two the next day. And they hid the candy. And it was this big deal. I tell my daughter, have as much as you like. And you know what happens? She has like maybe two, maybe three pieces. And then she's done. And we end up throwing it away a couple days later. So my daughter's friend came over. And what did she do? She ate So much candy, she actually got sick because if it was her bad food, right? Oh, you can't have that. If you if you know that you can have it, then you can make a choice. That's why I'll say if my kids are hungry, they'll say, Well, well, you want, you know, what do you want? You want an apple, you want a cookie, you want I, I offer them as equal. And that way, what's interesting is they usually choose the apple. Because we, if you're not eating to resolve something emotional, you are more intuitive to your body. And kids know when they're not being told, don't eat this and this is good and that's bad. Kids know, oh, wait, you know what? An apple is really what my body needs. They know it without knowing that they know it. Mm -hmm. And we lose our sense of intuitive eating when we start dividing food into good food and bad food. It's Healthy versus unhealthy. And when you want to take care of your body and nurture your body, when you take ownership of your body, many people with eating issues uh, almost see their body as as the enemy instead of a part of themselves. Mm -hmm. But when it's a part of you that you want to nurture and care for, then you're going to want to feed it yourself good food rather than bad more often than not.
0: And let's talk a little bit about intuitive eating because obviously to eat intuitively as you're saying with the children before they have any shame and guilt or any emotional issues, um, they should know when they're hungry and when they're full. And obviously a lot of adults now have had diets and within the diets they've gone past the feelings of hunger and, you you know, overridden the feelings of hunger and don't necessarily know when they're full because maybe stop eating and they're still hungry. Because they're on that diet and they're restricted to the portion size that they've given themselves or the calorie allowance. So how do you then get back in tune with your body and know the real signals of hunger and fullness?
1: Well, I regarding I deal with the psychology of eating, so I send my patients to a dietitian who helps them with the actual food. But what I have found, because a lot of people do not go to dietitians, they just deal with the um, the underlying psychological aspect, which once that is out of the way, they can then learn to have a, a, a more natural relationship to food, but it's really out of my purview, the actual food part, I deal with the psychology.
0: Okay, yeah, but I still mean the your hunger and fullness, because if you're emotionally eating, you, you might feel hungry when actually it's an emotion.
1: Yes, oh, I'm so glad you said that, because any feeling of yearning, can be experienced as hunger, and so recognizing well, what am I hungry for? Am I, you know, is my heart hungry? Is my stomach hungry? And starting to to think, uh, is this emotional hunger or is this uh, physical hunger? So physical hunger is your stomach is growling, or you feel lightheaded, or there's some physical feeling in your body that tells you that you're you need food, you need fuel, and when when you do that, pretty much anything will do. Oh, I'm starving. I'll, I'll eat that because I'm hungry. Emotional eating on the other hand is, is more about, oh that sounds good. Or, Ooh, that looks good. That's, that's your clue that you are trying to resolve something or escape something, um, through food. So to, to recognize, are you physically hungry or do you have a hungry heart? And the more that people check in with themselves, they can start to discern what's going on. And if they are, uh, if they are physically hungry, okay, good, eat, eat something. If you're emotionally hungry, what, what is it? What is, what is it that you're yearning for? What is that you're feeling? What is, that you're want, is it that you're wanting more of? You don't get enough in certain areas of your life. You may want more in the form of food, which mm-hmm. you can have.
0: So once you've, um, you realized that your food was masking the problems that you have in life, what coping strategies can people use to help deal with the issues that they have in real life?
1: You can do three things. One, silence your inner critic. Two, comfort yourself with words. Those, those two are kind of connected. And three, turn to other people instead of to food. So Silencing your inner critic and comforting yourself with words are definitely related concepts, because if you're telling yourself things like uh, you're not good enough, you don't deserve to be happy, or I'm such a loser, you may eat to escape that internal critic, the part of you that is attacking your, your spirit and, and stopping you from living your best life. And I find that a lot of people talk to themselves in an in, in in interesting way. They will say things like, I was at a party and I ate pizza and I really wanted it. And I thought, what the heck? I'm just going to eat it. And afterwards, I I said to myself, oh, you are such a loser. You can't you have no willpower. Notice how they shift from I, I ate the pizza to you, the attacking you, uh, accusing them of of being bad. So a quick way of identifying your inner critic is to catch when you talk to yourself in the second person. If you're saying you're, you're such a loser, you have no willpower rather than I have no willpower. So the flip side of being critical is giving comfort. If you know you need comfort, if you know you're upset, think about how you act towards your friends when they're feeling Upset, you know. If, if your best friend or your husband or your wife or your kid is upset, you don't hand them some ice cream and say, "Well, here you go." Um, you you at least I hope not. Well, maybe that woman did with the <laughs> with the chocolate <laughs> bar. But, but if if you wouldn't say something to a friend, a child, or a loved one, don't say it to yourself. So how do you how do you comfort yourself with words? How do you speak nicely to yourself? First, you have to Acknowledge what's going on and ask questions. So if, if a friend is going through a rough time, you might say something like, you know, I know you're feeling terrible, acknowledgement. It's really difficult. It's really painful, which acknowledges it. What would make you feel better right now? Mm-hmm. So if, if you say that to yourself, instead of going to food, I feel sad. I'm upset. I'm, I'm mad. This is hard. What do I need right now? that will really make me feel better, not this food. This food will work for a little bit, it'll take me away from myself, but then what? What do I really need? So acknowledging emotions is very validating, and asking questions helps you find the answers. And it feels way better than calling yourself names.
0: But at the same time, a lot of people, and a lot of my clients even, are really hard on themselves as well, so I know they'll definitely benefit from this question. Um, And when you're really hard on yourself or even hating yourself, how can you turn that around to then have compassion with yourself as you would your own child or your friend?
1: You you just have to say, why do you hate yourself? Where does this come from? And don't let it be, oh, well, I weigh too much. There is some reason that you think badly of yourself. And it, it it may seem as if it has to do with the number on the scale, but it doesn't. Why do you think that you, there's something wrong with you. Why, how is this familiar? Often the, the you voice, not always, but often, it's the voice of someone who talked to them that way, um, that they've internalized. Uh, another thing to do that can help is to take care with your tone, because the way you talk to yourself uh, is crucial. So if you, well, I had I had a patient who said, I tried talking to myself and it didn't work. So I asked her what she said. She said, I told myself, you know, I'm I'm sad and upset. It's gonna be better. You're gonna be okay. And I said, Well, no wonder you didn't feel better, because that is not very comforting. You say, you could say the same words, you know I'm sad and I'm and I'm upset. It's going to it's gonna be better. I'm going to be okay. That feels better. Tone is essential because a soothing tone feels like a verbal hug. Uh, you You have to challenge, back to your question, you have to challenge the idea of why is it that you're so deserving of this mean, vicious, cruel, contemptuous treatment? And why is it that someone else who may do the same thing, you don't feel that way at all? I find that many of my patients treat other people the way they would have liked to have been treated and they treat themselves the way they were treated. And it's not always parents you know at all, it's teachers or someone who treated them harshly they've internalized that that relationship and they're doing it to themselves over and over and over.
0: Mm-hmm. So do you think then that weight and dieting is not the issue and once we dig deep and find out what the real issues are that people can then be happy in their diverse bodies and for some that will be thinner and some that will be fatter. And you know, you just, everyone will get into their happy set point with their body. Sorry that. Yeah. Your set point weight with their body and then just be fine with that.
1: Absolutely. And I, I don't just think that I know that. And I see that on a daily basis. I see it with my patients. I see it with the people in my program who people who, who if I tell them, You will one day not recover. I don't even like the term recover. You recover from the flu or a bad breakup. You liberate yourself from this toxic relationship to yourself, this unhealthy, unhappy relationship to food. By making peace with yourself, you make peace with food. That's the key. When you change your relationship to yourself, that leads to food being lunch and dinner and enjoy it instead of a battleground
0: and why do you think this happened why is the society these days so obsessed with body and food
1: I wish I knew I wish I knew I, I mean I, I I think it's 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 always been there to an extent but there's a There's a book, the name of it is Escaping Me, but it's a book that, that looked at the journals of young girls over the last 100 years. And 100 years ago, girls were writing in their journals about wanting to be a good person and wanting to be morally right and wanting to be, you know, have a good character, And as the years went by, they started talking less and less and less about that and more and more about their bodies and wanting to be thin. And to me, that is an absolute tragedy that we've gone from uh, valuing who we are as people to valuing what we look like. Mm -hmm. And we, we as a culture need to challenge this because it simply objectifies us all, not just girls and women but men too are affected by this and we need to like reclaim our our souls i think yeah. and find more meaning in in life than what do you look like
0: yeah definitely i agree with that so what can we do to create change in our perception of the world and also see life in other people's shoes it's a big question
1: <laughs> yes i'm trying to i'm um I think it is, Here, here's, here's what I just thought of, um, uh, there was a parable I heard about uh, a bunch of starfish, hundreds and hundreds of starfish, that were washed up on the beach. And the whole beach is just covered with starfish, they're all gonna die, there's no way you can save them all. And this little boy starts bringing one starfish into the water, and then another, and then another. And there's no way he's, he would be there for decades, right? There's no way you can just say you could save all the starfish. And so someone says to him, you know, what what are you doing? You can't save them all. You can't save all these starfish. It's not going to make a difference. And the boy says, you know what? It makes a difference to this starfish that I'm putting in the ocean. And so... We have to look at if you if you make a difference in one person's life, then that person also makes a difference in the people around them. Changing the world is changing one person's life and another person's life. And if you if you change one person's outlook and and someone is then out in the world saying Wait a second. Let let's challenge this idea. Or that person goes out to the. Uh, someone told me this that she went to, she went to lunch with her friends and they were all talking about what they were eating and how. And oh, I'm going to eat salad. And oh, I want to fit into this dress. And she said to them, you know, why is it we're talking about what we're eating and what size we are? We are smart and women. We are accomplished women, and we're talking about calories. Aren't we more than that? And that started a conversation, and that is what I'm talking about. One person can make a difference, and so maybe that gives food for thought for people, and it has a ripple effect.
0: Yeah, definitely, like the butterfly effect. Mhm. I love that. That's how, exactly how I feel with um, the work that I do, even just doing personal training with people, just changing one person's life. You change all of the family that's around them, the friends that are around them, and it just has that ripple effect. I love that. <laughs> yes. So, lastly, do you have any books that you recommend? Anything that you're reading at the moment?
1: Well, I have my own book that's coming out in December called "Food for Thought: uh, Perspectives on Eating Disorders." But uh,
0: what
1: a great name! I I find that I'm the I'm the only psychoanalyst out there who's doing what I do, and so although there are good books. The reason that I wrote that book and I'm currently writing another book called Lose Weight Without Dieting is because I want to take the principles that I'm talking about and make them accessible for people um, more than the people that are in my practice, more than the people that are in my program. I do have a 30-day program. Not everyone can do that, but uh, I I want to alleviate the shame and the guilt and to Make people realize there is a reason that you're doing something that you don't want to do And when you when you find out what that reason is and you deal with that reason directly Your whole life will change and so will your weight mm-hmm.
0: So what's your biggest passion?
1: This, this 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 helping people free themselves from the tyranny of self-hatred Mm-hmm. as directed by uh, their relationship to their bodies. This is what I'm passionate about, and this is what I devote my life to. I mean, obviously, I'm passionate about my kids and my family, but in terms of me, this is this is what I think is the most important thing that I can do, is to make people feel better about themselves.
0: Brilliant. And um, you can really tell you're passionate about it by the way that you speak. Um, can I ask you, how, how can we hear more of you, what, what's coming up next for you?
1: Well, you can go on my website, winthedietwar.com, and you can find my podcast. Um, my YouTube series is called The Dr. Nina Show, with, Lose Weight Without Dieting, and my blog, Make Peace With Food. You can access all of those from my website.
0: Brilliant. Fantastic. Is there anything else that you wanted me to ask or you want to add in?
1: No, I think we've covered it all. Brilliant. Well, for today. We've, <laughs> yes, we've covered it all.
0: Thank you. i well, sorry for some of my um, not so articulate questions.
1: Oh, no, they were perfectly articulate. I'm what are you this. talking about? <laughs> but your answers no, I, were, I...
0: were brilliant. You you um, came around it well. So. <laughs>
1: No, I, I, I really appreciated your questions because they were thoughtful and made me, made me think, and I always appreciate that.
0: Oh, good. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you so much for having me, and just right. let me know when it airs and I will send people to you. Okay,
0: fantastic. I will do.
1: All right. Thank you so much. A, you're welcome. Have a great
0: day. And you. Bye. Bye. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave Nicola a review on iTunes. You can also check out the show notes and get other free content on our website, fustalfit.co.uk. If you'd like to contact Nicola, email nicola at